a church developing ministry with their local police department or with their fire department and beginning to develop relationships through a number of different avenues they could open some doors so that why so that what can happen which is ultimately needed is that these police officers deal with spiritual issues yes and 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 one of the things i've seen in my years of crisis ministry is that people in crisis are open to spiritual things and we need to be good stewards of crisis Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today's program is going to be relevant for everybody listening. We're going to talk about counseling. But wise counsel goes a lot deeper than addressing just emotional difficulties, life challenges, and mental health concerns. Although those are very important things, we want to kind of expand the topic with our guest today, Dr. John Babbler, who is chairman of Biblical Counseling Department at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary and also the college at Mid-America. Great new addition to the educational facility there at Mid-America. This is all part of our monthly feature where we introduce a different professor. We kicked this off last month. This is our second time each month throughout this year. We'll introduce you to a new professor, another area of expertise, and we're very thankful for the association that we have at Bot Radio Network with Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary and the value that it brings to train men and women for ministry. And so, Dr. Babbler, welcome to the program. Thank you, Byron. It's good to be here. For 29 years, you were a professor at Southwestern Theological Seminary. Did you officially retire from there? I did retire from there, yes, after God uh, opened the door and led me here. So <laughs> it wasn't a retirement short of God's leading. I wasn't ready to retire, Yes, uh, but God opened the door and, and uh, led us here to, to Mid-America. Should the word retirement really be in the vocabulary of a follower of Christ? I don't believe so. I, I, I think that, uh, again, it wasn't in my mindset. My focus is serving the Lord and whether I do that here or wherever, uh, I'm open to that. But now I figure I can rest and, uh, and and get that time in heaven rather than here on earth. Of course, Dallas, Texas is where you actually grew up. Correct. Tell me about some of those memories of growing up in Texas. Well, of course, I am a, a Texan at heart. If you haven't noticed, we Texans can be a little prideful. Uh, <laughs> so I am indeed a proud Texan. Did you ever uh, go to the Mesquite Rodeo? Yes, I uh, went to the Mesquite Rodeo, yes. I mean, you haven't seen a rodeo until you've been to a Mesquite Rodeo. That's right. Yes, yeah, so the, the rodeos, I, I actually watched the Cowboys play at Cotton Bowl, which was before Texas Stadium, which was before the current stadium. So remember the Cowboys in the Landry era, yes. and remember the Rangers coming to town and wow. seeing them in three different stadiums as well. And so uh, lots of changes uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You know, it's one honor in my broadcasting career. I had a chance to sit down with Tom Landry and do an interview with him. And what a man, you know, yes. it was what a privilege to do that. Well, in 2015, Mid-America signaled that it was going to become the premier biblical counseling school in the world when partnered with Dr. J.E. Adams. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I remember because Dr. Adams actually came to Memphis, came to the seminary for a special conference in that 2015. I had a chance to go to the seminary and sit down with Dr. Adams and do an interview with him. What an honor for me, because when I was a young Bible college student mm-hmm. here in Memphis, we used Dr. Adams' material, right. which has been around for a long time. But part of this association relationship with Dr. Adams' ministry is the fact that you'd be bringing back into print all of his books, which, I mean, he's got some incredible material. Some have been out of print, but that's supposedly going to change, right? Right. So uh, Dr. Adams wrote over 100 different uh, volumes, and it's the commitment of Mid-America to get those uh, back into print. We've got a number of them back into print now and available um, on the 
INS Institute for Neuthetic Studies website uh, yes. through Mid America's website. Yeah. But as we've had opportunity to do that, just a great encouragement. But Dr. Spradlin, who's president of the seminary, wanted to begin a counseling program, and they looked at a couple of different options and then decided if we want to start a biblical program, why don't we just go back to the man who rediscovered biblical counseling in 1970 with the publication of his first book, Competent to Counsel. And yeah. so they began negotiations with Dr. Adams, and he agreed to lead out and help develop the counseling program at MidAmerica, which he's done. In addition, with other journals and papers, you yourself have written three books on counseling, maybe more. I Correct. don't know. Uh, three, uh, working on a couple this summer as okay. well. Right. So take some of that summer vacation yes. and put it right. to good use. Also, your wife, Mary Lee, you've been married since 1984, which Correct. means 37 years. 37. Because right. I was married in 84. Right. And it's a delight to have a wife that's stuck with me for 37, <laughs> 37 years. 37 right. years. Yeah. 11 children. Uh, only 11, but it's a start. And 12 <laughs> grandchildren. Right. Our 13th will be born in the next week or two. My third will be born in November. Congratulations. Isn't it a good time of life, Dr. Babbler? It is, yeah. With family and the grandkids. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. What are the essentials to proper biblical counseling? So biblical counseling is unique in the fact that it's based upon a conviction that the Bible is sufficient for the counseling task. That it's not the Bible plus some type of admixture of the world's wisdom from psychology or the behavioral sciences, some integration. But it's, it's based on a belief that the Bible is sufficient for the counseling task. And so that's the foundation. A secondary aspect, I would argue, would be the importance of actually ministering God's Word. Sometimes there are caricatures of biblical counselors as, here, take two scriptures and call me in the morning. We don't dispense scripture, but in the context of a relationship with someone else, we minister the living and active Word of God. And so based upon that foundation of sufficiency, we minister God's Word, we we walk with, encourage, and challenge, sometimes confront people with uh, the issues that they're dealing with in their life. We used a word a moment ago when you were introducing Dr. Adams' material, newthetic counseling. Is that The same as biblical counseling. When uh, Dr. Adams began the process, he was teaching at uh, Westminster Seminary and was asked to teach uh, the counseling class uh, in the midst of some preaching classes he was teaching. As Dr. Adams looked at the existing literature in, in counseling in the Christian church, he wasn't comfortable with any of that, and he recognized the impact of psychology that psychology had had. And so ultimately, he went back and spent some time researching Scripture to develop a a model of counseling. And as he developed that, he focused on the the Greek word nuthateo and uh, decided that there's really no, which is usually translated to admonish or to warn, but uh, he decided there's really no English word to capture the significance of that. It speaks of putting truth into someone. He decided that he wanted to take a, a, a version of that word, so to speak, nuthetic, and use that to describe the counseling that he developed. And so that's the background of nuthetic counseling. Does that mean that all secular counseling is bad? Well, uh, there are challenges in regards to that because secular counseling is made up of people who truly want to help people. They uh, are, are committed to, to seeing people get better, uh, to work with different issues, but they're approaching things from a perspective of the world's wisdom. And I would argue that sometimes those secular counselors or those secular counseling approaches can help people find relief. But what we can do in biblical counseling is we minister God's living and active word and the Holy Spirit transforms people's life is that we can be a part of God bringing healing yes. beyond relief uh, to people's lives. So 
my perspective is as a Christian, I always want to focus on biblical counseling rather than the world's wisdom. There's nothing positive in Scripture about the world's wisdom. Uh, we're always cautioned against the world's wisdom. There is a clear distinction between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. Well, in Psalms 1, I mean, it's a clear example right sure. there. Also, as I opened up, you know, we talk about wise counsel it does go deeper, and sometimes you might say that that uh, secular counseling might just be like a Band-Aid. Or, right. Because I guess it really depends on how you view man and the makeup of man and the need of man, where man is. Right. From a biblical standpoint, we believe that man is desperately wicked. Right. He's dead, basically, spiritually, and he needs to be brought to life. And the only thing that can do that is the power of the gospel, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Now, as a believer, we can get caught up. We know people like Elijah and you know, other great prophets of the Scripture got caught up with depression and anxiety and issues that they faced in the flesh and right. battled with. So having good counsel is important. It is. It's it's vital to have uh, good counsel. And again, the world's wisdom will, will look at things and label them a certain way and will attempt to treat them a certain way. But often it leads to uh, sometimes a trading of addictions. They tend not to focus on sin at all. Most all psychological theories are developed with a basic understanding that man is inherently good and he has the answers to his problems within himself, which, again, as you mentioned, is contrary to our biblical understanding of man, of of humans, of how we're designed and made. But that said, all people, whether they be Christians or not, are going to face challenges and, and problems in life. And the Bible is full of many people who struggled, who were God's people, who struggled and, and stumbled. Uh, you mentioned a couple, I think, also of Job, who was uh, God's example to Satan. Yes. And uh, ultimately, when Job was challenged, when God allowed the challenges of Satan to impact him, God actually ended up confronting Job at the end of the book in regards to his right. sin as well. Right. And uh, right. we certainly see David. Uh, we see examples in the New Testament of Peter and, and, and others. And so certainly all of us, uh, whether we're saved or not, uh, are going to struggle with challenges. You know, your background of counseling is quite in-depth. And one of the areas when it comes to crisis counseling, Mm -hmm. does the church really have a role in crisis counseling for individuals needing safety and stability because of emotional trauma? Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, in 1999, I had the opportunity to – I had just begun uh, involvement in – uh, the fire service. I became a, a fire chaplain and a, a volunteer firefighter, and uh, the Wedgwood Baptist Church shooting occurred, and I had the opportunity to respond uh, to that shooting. And that began me uh, on a journey of, of looking at what a biblical response uh, to crisis should be, could be, and whether we indeed should be involved. And, and clearly, the Bible has the answer to people in crisis. If, if people in crisis don't know Christ, if they're not saved, then the first answer they have to face, the first question I guess they have to face is, are they going to accept God? Are they going to do things God's way or their way? So we have a a clear message of hope for that lost person, for the saved person. We're going to help them sort out what God's role is in this. And uh, all in the context of ministering, serving, loving, walking, spending time in relationship with these people that we have the opportunity right. to, to come alongside in crisis. So as I did some initial research, I found that uh, frequently uh, I've done a lot of study in the arena of critical incident stress management and some other areas uh, in the in the world's wisdom. 
and I found that the one piece that was almost always missing was the church. Wow. And uh, That's the church sad. Uh, should be there, right? Yeah. But we wow. we frequently are not. Back in the mid-90s, our family were missionaries on the island of Guam with mm-hmm. Transworld Radio. During that time, there was an air crash. A Korean airliner 801 crashed mm-hmm. very close to the radio station on top of Nimitz Hill on the island of Guam. And it actually happened just a couple of miles from the actual landing runway of the airport. The glide slope at the airport was broken. Of course, the pilot's still supposed to be able to land the plane without that. Two o'clock in the morning, dismal weather conditions. Mm -hmm. He got turned around, and there's a pipeline that runs on the top of Nimitz Hill, and his landing gear got caught in it. He did a cartwheel of about 254 passengers. There was just maybe a a handful of, amazingly enough, survivors. So our team volunteered with the Salvation Army and others in the aftermath, really just try to provide support to the recovery workers. First, it was a rescue, but shortly for very limited time, then it became a recovery. And I remember we thought it would be a good idea to bring these servicemen to a location where they could relax, debrief, part of just trying to process that mentally and emotionally what they've seen, because there's some, imagine some pretty tragic things on an air crash disaster. And I remember their commander said, oh, they don't need that. Just give them a six-pack of beer and send them home, take a nap, you know. Sadly, Dr. Babbler, that kind of counseling can run a life. Right. Well, and and I I have some uh, good news in the fact that certainly that was prominent, is becoming much less prominent in in the military and in regards to crisis in general, in regards to fire and police services, where I've spent most of my emphasis on crisis. And and there's a growing recognition of the the significant impact on trauma of trauma on people and and how uh, there can be it can be a cumulative effect and how uh, they frequently do need some help to work through well, these trauma si- well, traumatic situations. It's interesting that I did a little research and found that crisis counseling dates back to the first war where soldiers dealing with right. what they had witnessed and before this time many soldiers who suffered psychological breakdowns were viewed as disloyal to their country. Right. So counselors began to realize, hey, we need to do something about this. So the history goes back, even with the military. Yes, and the history is fascinating to look at how that's been developed. Uh, it went uh, from a disloyalty perspective to one of a significant break with reality. In either case, I guess there was a sense of hopelessness to recognizing the importance of providing help, encouragement, so that there was hope right. uh, for people who struggled. Even for those of us who were helping assist family members who were brought to the crash site so they could overlook, it just breaks your heart. You know, I can relive it in my mind. Mm. But every bus that would come that we would escort family members to the site just to overlook where the crash site had happened, many of them were uncontrollably wailing and hyperventilating, passing out. We would have to yes. carry back to the van. But then after they left, they would give us time as a group to come together and right. say, okay, what did you just experience? Because right. they say 10 minutes of debriefing time and talking through crises Mm -hmm. can save a lifetime of counseling. Right. And that's the knowledge or the wisdom, again, from secular research, uh, from observations that the world makes. And yet, one of the great opportunities we have in the chaplaincy arena is to bring Christ into that as well. Yes. So it's not just the talking, although that's found to be effective. Right. It's a, a Christian component. It's a biblical component in addition exactly. to that, which is so beneficial. Well, in our case, those who were there counseling, we were all believers. Right. And we were trying to help people who – we didn't speak Korean, but right. we were just trying to show support, love, here's some cold water, and help right. escort them. Uh, I can't even imagine going through something right. like that. Uh, should someone need crisis counseling, seek 
any biblical counselor for someone who doesn't have this specific training? Should someone have specific sure. training in crisis counseling right. compared to just biblical counseling? But that's a great question. And and when you go back to Dr. Adams, one of his uh, – the first book he wrote, Competent Counsel, the, the emphasis behind that title is that as a Christian, we can become competent to counsel apart from – the world's wisdom and education and secular degrees and licenses, we are competent to counsel because we have the Holy Spirit living with us because we've, first of all, been transformed. We've been born again. And so we are transformed people. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, and we have God's living and active word. So that's what makes us competent to counsel. In addition, as I mentioned earlier, the content of our counseling is scripture. So we focus on ministering God's word rather than our experience or even our, our, our education or learning in the arena, for example, of crisis. And so when we have transformed believers who are ministering God's word, I would argue that any of us can come along someone who's alongside someone who's in a crisis and be able to, to speak truth to them, to encourage them, to find hope for them in the pages of Scripture. Now, that said, right. I would argue that someone, for example, like me, who's had more experience in that arena could be uh, more effective at doing that and sometimes can be helpful coming alongside maybe a pastor who has a, uh, a church member who's struggling and they're going to continue to walk with them, but they have questions. They could yeah. come to somebody right. with more experience as a biblical counselor and say, what, what do you suggest? How do you think I right. can deal with this? In the case of a child being molested, mm. should a parent seek help from a biblical counselor with crisis training that's directed toward children could be more effective? Well, first of all, uh, something that goes without saying, but in today's world can't go without saying, is the fact that if anyone is struggling with that, they need to make sure that uh, the appropriate reports have been made, that law enforcement's been yes. involved, that Child Protective Services is involved. And and with that involvement, they are quite possibly going to uh, provide not only some resources, but they're going to maybe mandate some specific things depending on the situation or context. But in addition to that, there needs to be a, a, a biblical counseling approach, even when authorities are involved and have been notified. And, and in light of that, yes, it's going to be most effective for that that counselor, that person in the church to come alongside that has expertise and experience, not only ministering scripture, but specifically ministering it to, to children or, 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 to, or to teens. But if you find yourself in a, in a small rural church dealing with this, and maybe even the state's resources aren't very good, don't shirk back and say, oh, I can't help at all because I don't have this experience or expertise. You still have the Holy Spirit within you. You still have God's Word. And there are resources available uh, for biblical counselors in regards specifically to counseling uh, abuse. Even for a layperson in a church, they could pick up maybe that workshop or, or that brochure and learn how better to, to counsel in that situation. I know you spent time as a chaplain for the fire department, also police department. Right. What were some of the responsibilities in those roles that you had? Well, my first interest in getting involved in emergency services when I, as a seminary professor, realized that I really didn't know any lost people. I, I became burdened about that and was in a small community. We were an island city surrounded by the city of Fort Worth, and we had a volunteer fire department. And, and through a series of events, decided that I would uh, explore becoming a chaplain with them. And they didn't have one. The chief wanted a chaplain. And he gave me a choice to either just be the chaplain uh, or to go through the training as well. And I knew enough about 
uh, firefighters to know I'd be much more effective if I was one of them. And so I went through the training, became a firefighter, ultimately ended up being a fire chief of that department. And uh, in the midst of that, though, I developed relationships with other departments. And as a chaplain, I was actually one of the founding chaplains of the Texas Corps of Fire Chaplains and uh, also worked with the Texas Line of Duty Death Task Force. And so in the midst of being able to respond to a firefighter's death, for example, and tell the family and their firefighters at the station that I understand because I know what a a tool is. I know what a pike pole is. I I, I know what it means to flow water. I know the vernacular. I've actually done that. I've been in a fire before. I, I know what it's like makes that even more effective and then god opened up a door more recently in the past eight years uh, for me to get involved in the police side more specifically and so my last sabbatic leave at southwestern i went through police academy became a licensed peace officer and uh, chaplain i was already a chaplain as well and and so again as a, even more important i would argue in the police community to be one of them yes because they are naturally suspicious of outsiders and i have the opportunity to uh, to, to minister in both of those contexts dr babbler according to a 2020 article in the new york times uh, across the country calls are mounting from some activists and elected officials to defund downsize or abolish police departments mm-hmm. the new york post reported in april of 2021 that more than uh, 5300 nypd uniformed police officers retired or put in their papers to leave in 2020, a 75% spike from last year, from the year before. Uh, Department data showed that the exodus amid the pandemic, anti-cop hostility, riots, and a skyrocketing number of New York City shootings saw 2,600 officers say goodbye to the job and another 2,746 file for retirement, a combined of over 5,000. Through April the 21st of this year, 831 cops have retired or filed to leave, and many more are expected to follow suit in a current anti-cop climate, according to some reports from a retired New York Police Department sergeant and an adjunct professor at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice. What are those in uniform that vow to protect and serve in our city and county saying to you how do they feel about that i mean you know as citizens talking about emotional something so important to have our police know that we value and care for them very tough time to be a police officer today and i am still uh, in in contact with those in the department i was with in texas and actually two of their leaders have just within the past few weeks uh taken retirement that they weren't planning just because of the context the situation uh, how difficult things were becoming and uh, so very, very difficult time. And what I'm hearing is uh, people that are questioning two things. They're, they're questioning whether this is something they want to continue in at all. So whether they should be, as the statistics you mentioned from New York, whether they should get some other position, move out of law enforcement into something else. And the second question they're asking is either while they stay or if they choose to stay uh, longer term, how do I police and in the current environment because all of these things do impact a mind as you know uh, it doesn't take much for us to uh, well I'll just give you an example if you're reading the bible in the morning uh, if you're like me uh, it's not uncommon for you to look up after reading about 10 verses and realize oh i got distracted uh, i'm gonna have to go back and read those 10 verses because i'm not even sure what i just read right well i mean you add a little stress into that and think about how easy it is for your mind to to jump from thing to thing and the reality is that uh, these men and women who are out there today they have a whole new set of concerns and one of the key things that helped our department be effective was uh, self-initiated policing 
So when they saw something, they investigated. Sometimes they helped fix a flat. I mean, sometimes it was service. Sometimes it led to some type of arrest. But they, they rather than a call-initiated response, they would self-initiate because of what they saw. Well, unfortunately, across the country, self-initiated responses are decreasing for obvious reasons, yes. I would argue, because the, the, the cost-benefit reality or, or ratio has gone down significantly. What risk do I put myself in when I make a traffic stop? Uh, what decisions am I going to have to make if I, I stop and help this person or ask them who they are or what they're doing? Wow. And so those uh, issues cloud things. And again, one of the great things I would say about chaplaincy or or even uh, if, if someone's not called as I was to be a chaplain, even a church developing ministry with their local police department or with their fire department and beginning to develop relationships through a number of different avenues, they could open some doors so that why so that what can happen, which is ultimately needed, is that these police officers deal with spiritual issues. Yes. Uh, and, 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 and one of the things I've seen in my years of crisis ministry is that people in crisis are open to spiritual things. And we need to be good stewards of crisis and be willing to share the gospel, to share the encouragement and the hope that comes in God's Word with those who are in such a difficult situation. Yes. And I know I have a friend locally, you probably know of her, who started a cop stop ministry Mm -hmm. in her home. First responders could stop by their house on a night, have a meal. It was a chance to fellowship, but also there were witnessing opportunities, too, among those individuals. Dr. Babler, this has been really good. Now, as we wrap up the show today, uh, as you talk about a church counseling ministry, Mm -hmm. how can the church better address the needs of a counseling ministry more engaged in the area? I know they're afraid of lawsuits. (laughs) Sure. Right. Well, great questions. Uh, A couple of things. I'd just start out by saying that not every church should have a counseling center, but I would argue that every church ought to be a center of counseling. So as a center of counseling, there needs to be a vision by the pastor and by other church leaders that when people are struggling, whether it be people in their church body, the members, or whether it be people in the community, that they have a desire to minister God's Word, to open up Scripture, to walk with them, to be in relationship with them, even if it's informally. In fact, I teach our students that one of the most important things about biblical counseling is informal counseling, the opportunity to share with somebody over a cup of coffee or over a meal what God's Word says sometimes has more impact than even the formal counseling does. But some churches indeed should have a formal counseling center. There are a number of ways to do that, but I would say one of the things that's most assuring that people need to be aware of, it is certainly possible to develop a biblical counseling ministry in the church without undue risk of lawsuits. Now, there's no way to prevent all lawsuits. If a woman can sue McDonald's for spilling coffee in her own lap and prevail, we can sue anybody for just about any reason, right? right? But it is possible to do this without undue exposure. Dr. John Babler, God bless you. Thank you for what you're doing through the ministry of Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary and the College of Mid-America. Thanks for being on our monthly feature, Meet a Professor from the Seminary. Thank you. Byron, it's my privilege. And again, I'll say that it is a blessing to be a part of Mid-America. And we, if you have any interest in what we've talked about, be it the chaplaincy side or the counseling side, we'd love to hear from you. Well, Dr. Babbler, again, thank you so much. Equipping biblical leaders to light the way. 
Mid-America is preparing for the next generation of church leaders to take the good news into the world. Standing on the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture, you'll be ready to shine His light with good works that glorify our Father in Heaven. As a living testimony of God's love for His people, you'll light the way. You can discover more at mabts.edu. That's mabts.edu. I'm Byron Tyler. Hey, thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.